Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Good evening, everyone, on this Tuesday. It is going to be very chilly outside. I just got an alert on my phone. I'm sure y'all did as well. It is going to be winter weather here on the First Coast, so make sure you bundle up. And if you have plants, Mia, now that you're a homeowner, bring those plants either inside or cover them. Now I'm thinking, do I have plants? I don't think I do right now. Let me see if I have plants. I don't think I have plants outdoors, and the plants I do have indoors are fake. So I think we're in the clear, but thank you. Yes, well, this time next year. We did go recap. Well, I mean, there's nothing you can really do about the shrubs, I guess. They're just going to have to figure it out. Shrubs are pretty hard. Yeah, they'll have to figure it out. Um, But we did actually go retrieve the shepherd's hook from the previous home uh, because somehow some way when our movers were moving things it got buried into the ground we like went back and went looking for it couldn't find it anywhere and my mother had made such a point last year to buy a shepherd's hook to hang flowers and a, a birdhouse and then we went a couple months without it and then we found it as we drove past the old house a few weeks ago so I have not hung any flowers yet on the shepherd's <laughs> hook, Lauren. So thankfully, because I knew this freeze was coming. Well, I've never heard of a shepherd's hook until today. So I yeah. feel educated now. I didn't either until my mom last March, uh, right after I got my tonsils removed, was like adamant that that was the one thing my old house needed. Oh, that made it a little better. Obviously. The shepherd's hook. Yes. <laughs> I'll be Googling that in the break. (laughs) All right, let's get into some NFL playoffs. By the way, I feel like the worst thing for Jaguars fans, not only the fact that there was a game, obviously, where the Packers were up 27-0, and so then all the, oh, uh, the Cowboys going to be able to come back from down 27-0 like the Jags did. There was that. But it's also like literally exactly a year ago the Jags were in the playoffs, and so I feel like all the the memories from a year ago surface on everyone's everyone's phones. Everyone's popping up of happiness. (laughs) And it was such a happy time. And so not only did the – Regular season come to a crash ending last week. But then, of course, this past weekend, yeah. I feel like it was also kind of brought all back up. But either way, we've survived. We've watched the NFL playoffs to this point. We'll continue to watch because we love it. Uh, but which team, Taylor, impressed you the most? And I have a feeling you're not going to choose <laughs> that Packers team that I just referenced. I know. And I I just can't. My soul won't, won't let me do that. I, I am very impressed with how the Packers are playing. I, I think that mainly for me, it's how balanced their offense is. Um, because I think that throughout the season, and maybe that's why they're playing so well, is because I pay a lot of attention to the Packers, and throughout the season, I feel like there were games where Jordan Love just looked absolutely incredible, but then the defense looked terrible, or the run game. Granted, Aaron Jones was hurt a lot of this season, Um, and then other way around, like the games where you saw Jordan Love make a ton of mistakes and not look so good, you felt like the run game was able to kind of make up for that a little bit or the defense would make some big plays but all of that is kind of happening at one time so they, they're definitely impressive and I, I think that that's I would probably say that or the Texans which sucks because it's like the two that you really don't want to be saying yep. that uh, at least me uh, so it's because but it's hard not to say the Bucks, uh, and I think that's what my answer is going to be because I feel like and I said this to Frank when we were doing crosstalk it's just Preseason, if you would have told me that Baker Mayfield in the wild card round would put up go thirty two to nine on the 
Eagles in, in the wild card round? No way. No way. Um, and this has been pretty consistent for him. He had a couple bad games this season, but for the most part, Baker's been impressive from start to finish. And granted, it's not over yet, but you've seen a lot of good things from that Bucks team who a lot of people said they were kind of getting hitting that hump of older players and they lost some guys and it was Baker Mayfield and all of these things. So it's hard to not be impressed by Tampa, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that would be my answer, Mia, except for the fact that the Eagles basically came limping in and – I was not surprised that last night most people picked, at least the ESPN analysts, all picked the Bucks to win. I thought that was the doomsday for uh, oh. for, for the Bucks. I was like, oh, no, here we go, because they went, what, eight straight weeks in which the underdog won on Monday Night Football, which was a new modern era record. Multiple times in that streak, you had every single analyst and Scott Van Pelt picking the team that then ultimately lost, which, of course, was the favorite. Um, so, yeah, I was a little worried. For, uh, for my Bucks pick that I made on XL Primetime on Friday. I was like, oh, no, here we go. But the thing is, is even if you thought the Eagles limped into this game, they already were broken. There was no way in heck they were winning this game. For me, I was just so impressed with how Tampa Bay moved the ball up and mm-hmm. down the field. I understand they did that against the Jaguars on Christmas Eve. They were up 20 to nothing. But it was effortless. It was truly effortless. I understand they came away a couple of times where Baker got sacked and that took them out of field goal range. But they crossed the 50 on almost every single drive last night. Yeah. That, for me, says that this op- this offense is operating on all cylinders and Dave Canavellis, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, needs to be getting head coaching interviews. Yeah. Because what he has done with Baker, don't forget, the Bucks were what seven and nine in Tom Brady's final season, mm-hmm. eight and nine, something like that, and limped into the playoffs a year ago. Yeah, they were only ten and seven, right, coming into this playoff scenario. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it was, you know, it was a little bit of a incremental great uh, step up from the season before. But we're talking Tom Brady to Baker Mayfield. I understand <laughs> it's a different offensive coordinator. Yeah, but it can't be dismissed what they've been able to do with play action with Baker. Yeah, Rashad White has had a beautiful season mm-hmm. I know the Bucks. people still question whether or not they can run the ball but this isn't the they days just of, enough right it's not the days of Len, Lenny Lombardi unfortunately mm-hmm. um playoff Lenny who was released by the Bills a short while he ago won. in case you're in case you're just joining us um Leonard Fournette was rushing for like 30 yards a game and maybe Gio Bernard got another 20 and like that was it the fact that they had you know they averaged 4.1 yards per carry and that included some big chunk plays from yeah. Rashad White says to me that this offense is clicking on all cylinders. It's hitting its ceiling, even if its ceiling isn't what the Niners is. Yeah. It's still impressive what they've done in one year's time. Yeah, and, and I think, too, because, like, when you said that, yeah, they still had over 100 rushing yards, though, and that's, it. like you said, probably the one question mark you kind of had. But they had nine or ten different guys catching passes. and Nine or ten guys two, dropping three. passes, yeah, too, Taylor. There. Five of the guys having 45 yards or more. Three different receivers having touchdowns. And that's not even including Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were on the bottom end of those receiving numbers, too. They're doing it with other players. So that just shows that there's a strong comfortability in their offense. And sometimes that's hard to break down once you get to, as in defenses having to break down so many guys once you get to the postseason. So the Bucks proved that you can win a game if the receivers don't catch every pass thrown their way, which that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. I, I thought didn't. that every ball had to be caught, at least around here. <laughs> I think it has to be the Packers because of the way they dismantled the Cowboys at home. And the Cowboys were the only home team to not win this past weekend. And it's the freaking Cowboys with all this momentum and Dak's playing really well. And 
Yeah, there's pressure on Mike McCarthy, but still, I think most people expected the Cowboys to wall up the Packers. And so for it to be 27 nothing at one point, you knew the Cowboys were never coming back and winning that football game. I think for me, the one of the things that people pointed to all season was Dallas's schedule. And they had a very, very easy, favorable schedule, um, and especially the games that they were winning. And they're, the tougher games, they got crushed. And so I think that... A lot of people, it's easy to just be like, okay, well, they won X amount of games. But you really do have to go back and look at who some of these guys are playing because especially in that division, not a good, you know, Philly had, especially since November, they were downhill and the other two teams are almost non-existent in that division. So when you are only really having the game plan around that, and when you just go through, if you take a look at their schedule, for example, the Giants, not good this year. The Jets, not good this year. Uh, the Cardinals, they, who they lost to, not good this year. The Patriots, terrible. The Niners, they lost to 42-10. to 10. Uh, The Chargers didn't, ha- didn't have a really good season. Uh, the Rams, who's in the playoffs. The Cowboys, that's probably one of the ones I guess you can look at, but they're out now. The Eagles, who, like I said, they didn't play the Eagles until November 5th when things kind of started sliding down that way. Then the Giants again. Panthers, who's the worst team in the league. The Commanders. The Seahawks, who they could barely beat. Uh, the Eagles, once again, not that good. The Bills. They lost 31 to 10. Uh, the Dolphins uh, lost to them 22 to 20. So it's like when you go through their schedule, there was a lot of indicators that they weren't playing good against good opponents and against the bad ones they were able to scrape by. And that I think showed big time. What's interesting for me, uh, this stat I just verified, the Packers went three and three when Aaron Jones was not in the lineup this year in the six games he missed. What is worth noting is that in the two, two of those wins, which by many accounts, the Packers have pointed to as changing the trajectory of their season, the win over the Lions on Thanksgiving Day, and then the win over the Chiefs in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. That win over Green Bay, how many players do you think, because Aaron Jones didn't play, how how many players do you think saw carries for the Packers against the Lions? I'll say four. Three players. Jaden Reed had two reverses, and then A.J. Dillon and Patrick Taylor. Dylan was the leading rusher with 43 yards, and they somehow beat the Lions. You go to that game against the Chiefs, and Dylan has 73 yards on 18 carries. And that's what's so interesting is, like, you would think with no Aaron Jones, like, how did they scrape that one out? They must have run the ball. I, it, it is interesting because I thought it was a much starker margin of, I thought they were, like, one in five in games that he doesn't play. It's three and three, and obviously mm-hmm. we've seen the evolution of this offense because Jordan Love and these young receivers were getting their sea legs under them. But it is fascinating to see just how dominant they can be when they have a healthy Aaron Jones because I think that is, A, so critical to the play action yeah. opportunities for Jordan Love in which he's excelled. But, B, I mean, he's kind of, you know, I don't even think he's that old. He's what, like 30? I'm not even 30. I don't even think he's 30 yet. He's kind of the old head, though, for this young crew. For running backs, though, that, that's getting Right, exactly. Yeah. And But it's I think that it's it's interesting because he – He's the calming presence, mm-hmm. I think. And when he's going, I think he's 29 years old, by the way. Um, it it kind of settles everything else around it. I, I think it takes it takes the pressure off of these young wide receivers, although for what it's worth, like they're thriving, being thrown into these pressure situations. As for the game itself on Sunday, I just felt like as soon as they got up 17 nothing, and then the Cowboys couldn't do anything with it, and I think they turned the ball over again, it was yeah. just like – Look, like you can pull a Jags and like you can at least score a touchdown before the before the half and you get the ball back to start, but 
they just never got any into an offensive rhythm. Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing you could give the Jags last year against the Chargers. Like, there was a little bit of a semblance of an offense. It just obviously kept ending in interceptions in the first half. <laughs> but they at least were, like, starting to move the ball, and then that would yeah. happen. The yeah. Cowboys never moved the ball in the first half on Sunday. Well, I think it's also – there wasn't as much pressure on Dak this past season because a lot of those teams, like Taylor just went through, they were able to beat fairly easily. Once it got to the point in the game where there was a lot of pressure on him when his defense was letting him down, and then he had to try and find a way, that's when he started to throw interceptions. And mm-hmm. I will say, my, my cousin who lives in Denver texted me before the game and was like, ready for the Cowboys to lose in the first round. And I kind of laughed, like, I don't really think that's going to happen. And then I started to think more about it, and I immediately texted her back. And I was like, how many interceptions is Dak going to throw? No, I still thought the Cowboys would win. Yeah, yeah. But I thought he'd throw a couple picks, yeah. right? And so as soon as it was, yeah, 17-0, and then he threw the pick, like, and we oh, were okay. both like, okay, <laughs> actually, this is going to happen. And it's kind of fun because we don't really care one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, but it, certain franchises, they just have a way of of ending the season in the first round of the playoffs or not making it to the playoffs. Obviously, yeah. the Cowboys tend to make it to the playoffs. and. That's what's been said about lots of, you know, franchises like the Chargers and things like that in the past. And so watching now what happens with Mike McCarthy, watching now what happens with Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia, that's going to be, I think, the most fascinating of the entire uh, coaching carousel. Sorry, one of the things that's, uh, and I think they said it, I don't know if it was this broadcast or if it it honestly might have been the Bears-Packers game the last week of the season with Jordan Love because he, one of the things, when he turns the ball over, they lose, and that's been almost the direct correlation. We talk about it a lot where that happens, but then there's other times where I feel like you are like, okay, they can manage a turnover and still be able to win. But truly, I was just looking because I remembered that sticking out. So he's in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. He threw interceptions this year. They lost all of one of those. And so that's their direct correlation. They don't have a whole lot of room right now because I think they're so young to make mistakes. So as long as Jordan Love can avoid making mistakes, which he's been able to do very well, uh, then I I think they'll still be really tough for anybody they play. Yeah, I think that's one of the more interesting games of the weekend. And I'm sure, too, he's a young quarterback. He's not a rookie, obviously, but he's new to starting. You have to wonder how much his confidence wavers when he throws an interception. That's yeah. something that, that gets a little better once you become – a more seasoned player. All right, we will go over our impact players we chose for the Super Wild Card Weekend and pick some new ones for this upcoming weekend. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 10 to next 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Taylor Dahl is here. Mia O'Brien, JJ LaSalva, I am Lauren Brooks. By the way, watching a little Florida men's basketball as they take on number six, Tennessee. It's not going well, in case you guys <laughs> haven't been paying attention. Florida was down by 20 just a minute ago. Uh, they just cut the lead to 18, though, so have oh, no fear. Getting closer. Yeah, this game was supposed to tip off at 7 o'clock, but because of weather in Tennessee, it is uh, very snowy up there. They moved it up to 5 p.m. so people could get in and out. Uh, and so, yeah, Tennessee fans will get to leave. <laughs> Very happy, at least I would expect. Uh, there is about 15 minutes left. So if Florida were to drastically change course, uh, then it's certainly possible. But Dalton Connect, if you haven't watched any of Tennessee basketball, Mia, you know, uh, is superb. And just in the first half alone, he had 22 points. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. We've watched Tennessee basketball a couple times before. 
uh, tonight, so I knew who he was. I knew how good he was, and Florida doesn't have any answer for him. Honestly, I got a little worried. He rolled his ankle. I want to say it was like the second or third week of December, and honestly, like the way he went down in pain in that game, I was like, oh, no. If they lose him for the season, like that changes mm-hmm. everything because uh, Tennessee sometimes can be a little offensively challenged, but at least he provides that spark for them. Um, but, no, obviously he's healthy. He's contributing, and I want to go inside the numbers here, Lauren. Um, I don't have the exact verification of this. Okay. This is just solely based off games I have watched during this snowstorm that has wreaked havoc across our country for the last week. I am pretty sure that the home team is undefeated so far. This is just solely based off games, which obviously I watch a lot of men's and women's basketball. Did especially this weekend because no Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Whether it was, yes, the Iowa Hawkeyes playing in front of 100 people Friday night, the men's team, because there was a travel ban in effect and no one could get to the Iowa-Nebraska game. Whether it was Creighton triumphing over Rick Patino and St. John's on Saturday and Rick Patino saying he wanted to kill himself. Um, like, yeah, that's a story we will get to later in Yikes. the program. Um, but, you know, just hurl himself into the East River if they don't win a national title. It's Yikes. fine. Rick's just playing the hits. He's trying to get clicks. Um, but... This is based off no actual like fact-checking, but I need to. I'm pretty sure every game that I have watched in the last week since the snowstorm began, the home team and its fans that trudged through the snow were successful and triumphed over the poor opposition that had to fly in many times just hours before the game. Well, maybe it's because they're terrified of flying into snow, flying through <laughs> snowstorms and into snowstorms. Right. Storms. Well, that's what Mike Boynton, the Oklahoma State head coach, said. Like, they were on, like, three different flights to try to get to Iowa State on Saturday. And I think by the time they finally actually got on the plane and got to Ames and after the hour-long bus ride from Des Moines, then had, like, 45 minutes to warm up and then play a basketball game. Like, you're spent. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. Like, after I travel, like, yeah. oh yeah, it's a tough, like, it, it's a tough road to hoe if you have to, like, then, like, try to, you know, Get out there and actually do things the rest of the day. It's funny because in traveling, you're mostly sitting. I mean, unless, yes, you have a quick connection or something you're running between. uh, And, yes, this whole conversation is awful for me uh, (laughs) in case you missed last week. Uh, I'm just saying the snow Otherwise, you're still just sitting there. Like, you're sitting at the airport or you're sitting on the plane. Like, you're not doing a whole lot, yet it is exhausting. I think that a lot of it for traveling is just the whole process, like, leading up to, because you're like, all right, got to pack my bag, got to get to the airport on time. Okay, then you're going through the security, and then you want to find your gate. Then you finally get to sit, and then you're like, all right, when am I boarding? Now I have to do this. And if you have a fear, it's even worse. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And then if you hit the turbulence, some of these okay. teams have to face. Right. You know? um, well, speaking of travel and the home team winning or in the, the snow. Or the plane door flies hey. off. Yeah, uh, speaking of home teams winning in the snow, both Kansas City and Buffalo did just that this That's weekend. right, that they did. Way to lead us into our impact players. By the way, uh, Brian and I, after last Tuesday night, I was like, did you know about this plane door flying off? And he's like, of course I did. And no, I was never <laughs> oh, going to tell he was you. Protecting he you. was. So thank you. Even though then uh, at dinner with my parents on Saturday, they talked all about it. And I kept being like, please stop. I can't listen to this. Anyway. All right. Uh, I'll go first. I had Buck. Well, originally me and I both chose Nico Collins. Mm-hmm. I'll just give us both an A plus on that one uh, since the <laughs> Texans and Nico Collins had a great game. Then I went with Bucks wide receiver Mike Evans. It wasn't his best night, but the Bucks ended up winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensively, I went with Bills linebacker Terrell Bernard. The only problem with that is he got injured. Yeah. And it, I don't know exactly whether he'll be out for a while. They said ankle it sprain. Yeah. yeah, they said ankle sprain after the MRI, but I would be surprised. Uh, but, yeah, that means the Bucks are on their third middle linebacker this season. 
Uh, so we'll see how they do against the Chiefs. But those were mine. Uh, Taylor, you had Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Who blew it again. Freaking <laughs> Dallas. It's <laughs> like, come on. I needed you one time, Dak. You also had Eagles linebacker Hassan Reddick. Both of your players out terrible. of the playoffs. I, I guess it's a full-on jinx now that I have. I think so. Uh, Mia, you went with Texas. I, I was oh, right. Yeah. Those people needed to play better to win, and they did not. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> Mia, you went with Rams running back Kyron Williams, if you didn't have Nico Collins. Pretty good game. Yeah, I mean, 13 rushes for 61 yards is below his standard, yep. but to average 4.7 yards a pop against the third-best run defense in the league, I mean, you'll take that every day. It was a one-point game. Good teams win, great teams cover. Thank you very much, Los Angeles Rams. You <laughs> also had Browns corner Martin Emerson Jr. I have to say, I don't know that I noticed him much. Yeah, I, initially on the first few drives you did. He broke up the reason that the Texans went three and out in the opening drive was a pass breakup from him. Um, he finished with, let me see, two tackles. I can't see the pass breakups because I'm dumb and didn't go to player stats. Um, I, look, for me, when I look at this Texans-Browns game, it is the ultimate question of did they win the game? Did the Browns or the, did the Texans, excuse me, win the game? Or did the Browns throw this one away? I think the Texans certainly played well enough to win. They looked dominant, yes. But you cannot deny that Joe Flacco throwing two pick sixes changes how the the offense for the Texans is going to attack things, how the offense for the Browns has to respond, and how the, you know, blitz-happy Jim Schwartz defense responds as well, accordingly, because mm. now they're down two scores, three scores, four scores suddenly. I think even if Flacco doesn't throw the pick sixes, the Texans still win. I do too. But I certainly get your point. Uh, him imploding did not help anything. I feel like you can't overcome two pick sixes in a playoff yeah, game. Especially when they're One in pick the same six, quarter. But yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's just part of what the Texans have also been able to do is make some of those plays defensively. And Joe Flacco, in the games where you feel like things, because we all say he's more of just, at least now, is that guy of a like more so game manager, just don't mess it up. And so when a defense forces you to mess up, there's not a whole lot Flacco can do to overcome that by himself. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and then... JJ went with Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill and Browns edge rusher Miles Garrett. Oh, <laughs> Miles Garrett, I, was he even playing? <laughs> Honestly, I had to look it up. He had two tackles because that pocket was clean, oh, man, yeah. sure all was. game. Uh, Tyreek did have their one score, mm -hmm. so I guess he had an all right <laughs> game, but their offense sucked. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw what he tweeted after the game, but it was hilarious. He's like, who let me leave the house with those ashy lips or something? Yes, I saw that. He was like, what was worse than losing this? People let me leave the house with the ashy lips. I was like, isn't that something you can feel? Like, yeah. It's I mean, like zero degrees. I, I, right. know, there's nothing you can do about it, man. Yeah, but I mean, you know at some point in time, man, my lips, like I'm sure his lips hurt. Like, so, they would have hurt. Speaking of on Dolphins, uh, what the Dolphins were unable to do in the playoffs. It's so odd to me how, and I guess when you start playing good defenses, they're able to figure out what you're good at and take that away. We talk about that a lot. But one of the things that I saw a tweet, Tua Tungavailoa led the NFL in total EPA on throws between 10 and 25 air yards and in, in between the numbers in that range. And he only attempted two passes in that range in this game. Like your best thing that you're good at, you don't do in the entire game, but again, the defense, I guess, took away that that mid midfield. Yeah, I would have loved to see the game played in a little bit better of weather yeah. conditions, just for the fact that we, 
had seen a high-flying Dolphins offense for a lot of the season, mm-hmm. uh, but it certainly got shut down. But either way, that's what the Chiefs do. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. They went at home, and they were not going to lose to the Dolphins. All right, let's pick some impact players for this upcoming weekend. JJ, you get to go first. Lamar. Yeah, Lamar. Uh, he's playing Houston, but he's really not. He's playing his legacy. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't be uh, – we said it on Friday on XL Primetime. We were picking games. Lam- the Cowboys are the Lamar of the playoffs, which is hilarious now that they lost. I mm-hmm. didn't expect that to happen. But, you know, just get knocked out and have mm-hmm. a really good regular season but really do nothing in the playoffs. That has to change for him. And this is it. You can't lose to a rookie quarterback after you're the number one seed you're playing at home. Lamar has to win on Sunday. And on defense, Chris Jones. Okay. Uh, that I I don't even care about any of the other games except for that one. I, I'm so <laughs> juiced up for that. I think it's going to be awesome. And the defense is going to be zero degrees. So I think he's going to have a big part to play in that game. I can understand that one for sure. So the Chiefs at the Bills, that one comes up Sunday, 6.30. In Patrick case. Mahomes' first road playoff. First one ever. Time. Somehow, somewhat. He's, what, 15-3 and three in the playoffs, I think, wow. is his record overall. We Not also that- uh, did the research on XL Primetime today. Patrick Mahomes has played once in Buffalo, and it was during October of the COVID 2020 season when there were no fans in attendance at Highmark Stadium. Oh. Yeah, so he's going to be battling, certainly, I think, a lot of not angry Bills fans, but certainly excited Bills fans, oh, yeah. put it that way. Uh, all right, Taylor, you're up. Uh, so I'm going to say offensively, I'm going to say Jordan Love. Um, I think Wow. That, I know. You're trying jinx. to do the jinx. <laughs> now I know. Jinx. Jinx. <laughs> um, but in all reality, I think that it is big. I, the Niners, this is pr- probably the best defense they've played this season, especially up front. Uh, the Niners, when it comes to stopping the run, not letting touchdowns happen through run, which, that, like I mentioned earlier, Green Bay does, especially when Aaron Jones is playing, rely on that a decent amount. So I do think that a little more pressure is going to be put on J- Jordan Love to have to pass the ball because I do s- suspect they're not going to let Aaron Jones do what we've seen recently. So I do think it's going to be big on him to be able to um, kind of take that next step up and, and play a football. I don't want it to, but I do think it's important for them. And then um, for defense, defense, I'm going to say, that I guess I'll just say whatever linebacker is playing in Buffalo. Um, okay. Because obviously Terrell Bernard and Balen Spector went out. They already were, uh, Tyrell Dotson was already injured. I'm guessing Dorian Williams, A.J. Klein are going to have to step up and make some plays. But I, I do think. Klein came in when yeah, uh, Bernard this got last hurt. weekend. So I'm expecting that, uh, which obviously when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, you need everything you have, and unfortunately, they were. I felt like one guy going down after another last weekend, which isn't ideal. So, uh, I think big game for one of those backup guys. How about this story? Speaking of AJ Klein, apparently he had to cancel his vacation to make a playoff appearance because uh, he was on the practice squad, I guess, and so he got elevated and he had to cancel his family's RV trip to play for the Bills on Sat- <laughs> Saturday or Sunday night. Interesting. Or Monday. 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 Yeah. God, like it, it all blends together. Super wild card weekend. Yeah. I didn't love on Sunday. I will say when it got to one o'clock and there was no football, oh. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> like, couldn't you have moved up the, the other two yeah. games? Like, I know I'm being incredibly selfish. If it was no, my I team, I certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have wanted any changes. But Sunday at one o'clock, I deserve football. Okay. <laughs> like I've made it through half the day. I deserve some football. 
All right, Mia, who you got this weekend? All righty, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. I am also going to head to Orchard Park and go with James Cook. I think that that is the game, not just of elite quarterbacks, but of running backs that are the unsung heroes of their team, whether it's Paco Pacheco for the Chiefs. I think James Cook has been a revelation now that Joe Brady finally actually is putting him in a position to win and do what he did at the University of Georgia. And so he is my impact player on offense, and I am going to go against the grain when it comes to defense. I'm going to go with Carlton Davis of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because not only is that Lions passing offense simply awesome, he was absolutely burnt toast against the likes of C.J. Stroud in C.J. Stroud's coming out party earlier this year. If you remember, he gave up not one, not two, but three touchdowns. Uh, That cannot happen against the Detroit Lions if Tampa is to have any chance. All right, good stuff. I am going to go with the Bills, Dalton Kincaid. I feel like we picked a lot of Bills players, but I think that makes sense because it's Chiefs Bills. I know. I'm like, uh, wonder what game we're all excited <laughs> Yeah. I feel like we always talk about the Chiefs tight end a lot, but I feel like it's the Bills tight end, Dalton Kincaid, that like is going to make some noise and uh, find some seams in that Chiefs defense. And then I will go with the Ravens defensive tackle, Justin Matabuke, who has 13 mm. sacks this season. If the oh. Ravens are to win and help out Lamar's legacy, I think they have to get to C.J. Stroud. They have Definitely. to pressure him. He had way too much time uh, against the Browns. And look, he's a poised guy. Even if they get in his face, he's still at times able to evade the sack and avoid that. But if you're not, you got to rattle him. If you're going to get to, uh, to at least feel like you're going to win that football game. I do think it's probably going to be like 30 to 27. Like Mm -hmm. I I think it's going to be a close game. And I think the Texans are going to put up a fight. So the more you get to CJ Stroud, the better off you are. All right, we've got a giveaway when we come back, and Taylor will take us around the NFL. You are listening to Humpton Heels, driven by Tartlet on 10 to next on 92.5 FM. Stilettos. And Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. If you are an astute listener, right now you know what our giveaway is. I just teased a giveaway and JJ LaSalva is playing this song. And we've been giving this prize away throughout the airwaves of 1010XL this Tickets week. Tickets to see the village people. <laughs> That is not the giveaway, <laughs> although I'm sure some people would call in for that. Phone line's lighting up. <laughs> <laughs> it is a one-year membership to the YMCA of Florida's First Coast. Up to two people. Visit fcymca.org for more information. Have y'all ever done it's that? It's a great prize, oh, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Have y'all ever done the YMCA, like, out in public? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just making sure. I have. Have I breathed on this earth? I mean, if anything, like Matt. And Have I been to a wedding before? <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Matt Hayes was like alarmed when JJ played that yesterday when we gave away a YMCA membership. And uh, and Joe and I started doing it. And he's like, oh my God, they're dancing. They're clapping. And it was like, yeah, duh. How can you, like, you not when you hear this? I don't remember the exact tweet, but. Uh, Mike DiRocco of ESPN went to a Jags practice not that long ago and YMCA played, and I think he tweeted, like, only Doug Peterson was doing it. Yeah, and he was really disappointed, and I was like, I would be too. Like, if that song comes on, you have to do it. It is one of the ones that he said wedding, like, at a wedding, at a game, like, anything like that, when that comes on, the majority of people are doing it. Yeah, I will say, I feel like, it's older now. The song's obviously older, but I feel like it's old enough now that it's kind of getting phased yeah. out of stuff. Um, like the electric slide, is that still popular? What oh, yeah. Is it, it is? Yeah. Okay. 
I, I don't know if it's popular, but we all know it. Yeah, we yeah. know it. It's yeah. all about the Cupid Shuffle. That's I what I was about to say. The yeah. WAP and the Cupid Shuffle kind of like <laughs> took over that. The Dougie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Taylor, take us around the NFL. Okay. So uh, the first thing I actually want to bring up is another stat. Last week, we talked a little bit about the wild uh, statistic when it came to Matthew Stafford and all of the receivers that he has, like, helped pave their career into some sort of crazy record. Um, and so me and I were talking about this and the flop of how crazy Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff switch could potentially be if the Lions, let's say, go to the Super Bowl. And it's one of, the, I feel like, the rare, true win-win scenarios that people would probably talk about. But I saw some numbers on Jared Goff, and it was really interesting. And, and I think that... Before even this season, they started playing well at the end of season, but people were questioning how how long that that success could go on because he went a crazy amount of games without interceptions, and they were like, okay, is this really who Jared Goff is? Or, you know, he was always kind of one of those ones that I felt like we were in limbo. But I saw this, and it's pretty crazy. So Jared Goff, it says, has turned around every football team he's been a part of. So his, his college, year one, the team was 1-11. and 11. Year two, the team went 5-7. and seven. Year three, they went eight and five, bowl win that season. Rams, year one, they were four and 12. Year two, 11 and five. Year three, 13 and three with the Super Bowl appearance. Now, Lions, first year, they were three, 13 and one. Year two, nine and eight. Now, year three, 12 and five, division playoff win, and now continuing. So, it, that all those numbers just were really crazy as Jared Goff, just that guy. Maybe it takes him a year, two, three to really get comfortable in that system. But is this something that you see continuing to be successful? Just Jared Goff? Yeah. Is, is in he, Detroit. Is he going to? Oh, you, like yes. I think the upward trajectory is for real in Detroit. Um, could I see them stumbling, you know, here and there? I mean, everybody has bad seasons. Yeah. It, the injury bug comes for everyone at some point or another. It is fascinating, that upward trajectory, especially because of the rep that Jared Goff, for better or worse, got yeah. after basically being deemed a, a, a game manager. He was never going to – he could get the Rams to a Super Bowl, but they couldn't win a Super Bowl with him. Um, do I think the Lions could win the Super Bowl? Absolutely. I think they have all the pieces. Mm -hmm. um, but we talked about this as well off the air, Lauren. Like, it, it just feels like the Lions were built to hit certain benchmarks. Mm -hmm. So the three-win season – Last year, they didn't make the playoffs, unlike the Jags. Had the same record as the but Jags. But they had the same record. They had a winning record. They obviously progressed throughout the duration of the season. So that was progress. Now they make the playoffs. They win a playoff game. And so that's where, like, I feel like the next step is, like, they get beat either this weekend or next weekend, and then they come back the following year to make a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But, hey, I mean, I could be wrong. They could jump a few steps, and they also could falter down the stretch. But I, I think – they built the infrastructure piece by piece, and that's what you're seeing. I think it's it's really evidence of a lot of things. One, you've got a head coach and a general manager who are on the same page, and that's critical when building a roster that isn't very good, and that, that's what they ended up with, right? They were taking over a team that wasn't great, mm -hmm. and really a, a, a franchise like Jacksonville where the city had lost confidence in the team, and had, you know, this really wounded self-esteem, and they have been able to completely change that. And, and I, even though we all laughed at Dan Campbell in that opening press conference about being kneecap biters, like, the grit is what the term that they want to use. But just the toughness that they've built yeah. in that franchise, that's night and day from where they've been. Yeah. But I think that we could also be easily talking about how Matthew Stafford came into Detroit and won 
because the Lions couldn't score a point past, what, eight minutes in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Like, they literally didn't score another point. Like, so had the Rams done just another field yeah. goal, yeah. like, the Lions lose, and then I think we're the narrative we're talking about, and I know this is, happens with every franchise. If the Jaguars had beaten the Titans, yeah. we would have been talking about something completely different last week. I get it. But with the Lions, I feel like they're they're just teetering almost, though, on the precipice of being pretty good but not great. And I do think the quarterback is part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I agree because I said it yesterday. You you can't tell me that they didn't just sit on a lead and hope and pray that it didn't slip away in that second half. And if the holding call on Puka Nakua comes right. to fruition, we may be talking about a different outcome. Yeah. yeah, and, and But kudos to them for what they've done for sure. And the the interesting thing for me with the Lions, and this can go back to connecting what what is happening here or the lack of what's happening here, is Detroit had a really solid ending to the season. Yes, they made the playoffs, but they ended it on a high note, knocking Green Bay out of the playoffs. That meant that win didn't mean anything to them. Honestly, it got them a worse draft pick. And that if you were or if you're getting you know analytical and all of the things, but I think that they didn't stop. The when you go back and look at what Detroit did in free agency and the draft this last season they were like great we won nine games we can be better there's still things we have to fix that's something that the Jags did not do when you go back to free agency let's look at the, the last year they got David Montgomery because they replaced Jamal Williams in that CJ Gardner Johnson Cameron Sutton Emmanuel Mosley they obviously brought back Marvin Jones Jr. Um, they bulked up their offensive line got a few different offensive line people uh, pieces linebacker Alex Anzalone he's been playing really really well this year and then Former when you, Gator, thank you very yeah. much. And uh, then when you go to their draft, and they traded up for certain pieces that they found would fit, but Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, some of those names might sound familiar to some of these people because yeah. it's names that we talked about the ja- mm-hmm. wanting here in Jacksonville. But that's that, to me, is what is that's what builds a good organization. You don't get comfortable. You don't sit back and say, okay, like, we're, we're going in a positive direction. Uh, some of these young guys just have to get a little better and we'll be good. No, it's a constant building process, and the Lions saw that they had the chance to get even better, and they did. If, yeah. if I may, just because as I'm perusing while, while we're on and off the air, I think this kind of ties right in with this. Dan Levitard's show earlier today, they'd love to do their question of the day. They did three. Has this person already won the playoffs? Has Baker Mayfield already won the playoffs? Has the Detroit Lions already won the NFL playoffs? Has C.J. Stroud already won the NFL playoffs? I mean, that's good, though, because... All three, you could argue. Yeah, because like, when you're Jordan looking... Jordan Love, I'd put in there, too. When the, the last playoff game the Lions won was in 1992, to them, I think this would... They'd say, okay, this was successful. If they lose this weekend, you'll still say, all right, you know what we did last year? Like I said, nine wins, didn't make the postseason. This year, we win a playoff game. But that's when you have to say, okay, but now, what was the issue? Where was the biggest glaring issue? And let's fix that. Yeah, and I think some people would would look at it and be like, all right, you made good strides, and at this point in time, as far as the Jags are concerned, Mm -hmm. and you didn't do enough right in the offseason, and that's why you had to make a defensive coordinator change. The Lions haven't had to do that because the Lions have taken steps forward each offseason, or season, I should say, and then the Jaguars took a step back during this season. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's interesting to compare the two. Right now, a lot of people also want to compare, of course, the Jaguars and the Eagles because both had the – collapses at the end I was looking through just how many free agents the Eagles have and it's Mm -hmm. like yeah the Jaguars wanted to quote-unquote run it back well the Eagles certainly wanted to run it back because they made it to the Mm -hmm. Super Bowl well now they have so many decisions to make when it comes to a lot of their players and obviously Jason Kelsey last night yeah telling his teammates he's going to retire the the center who's 36 so that makes sense too but 
I feel like, yeah, you want to more compare the Jags to the Lions because the Jaguars have the, mm-hmm. I mean, the Lions have that ascending nature. And the Eagles right now, I feel like, are yeah. in just complete and total, like, fall off the cliff mode. Well, and the, the Eagles last year already had to make certain choices. I remember, because obviously the Bears signed TJ Edwards, which this year had a career year. And there were certain pieces that they lost last year. And now that's even a whole different level. And that brings me actually to my next question, Lauren, because um, – Nick Sirianni, I feel like that's a hot topic because people are chanting. Eagles fans were chanting, like, fire him. There were signs. Yeah, there were signs made at this. But it's interesting. So on CBS Sports, this is like an overreaction or reality. Mm -hmm. Um, They put reality, and it says Nick Sirianni coached his last game with the Eagles, and they have reality. But they said from the outside complex – Firing from outside of the complex, firing Sirianni makes no sense. Sirianni is 34 and 17 in three seasons with the Eagles and has the highest win percentage in franchise history at .667. A year removed from taking from taking the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Here's where they say the biggest issue lies: where you have to make uh, start looking at some of the decisions he's made. Um, so they said for starters, the head coach was responsible for the defensive play caller change that made the defense worse, removing his hand-picked selection for defensive coordinator in that process. And then offensively, Brian Johnson's play calling was laughable, they say, compared to Steichen over the last two years. And this hire was also directly Sirianni's hire. Um, so they said that there was dysfunction in the locker room amidst mounting frustration and how things were operating across the board. So to them, it's like, which... I feel like a lot of times you don't directly point to that, but they're talking about it in Chicago right now of how much is, how much are those coaching hires also on your GMs and your head coaches and how much credibility should they take for that? Because you may draft well, you may get, you know, hit on all your free agents, you may end game decisions you like, but how much, if you're going and handpicking these guys and they crumble everything, how much is that on you? Well, I think it's all on you. Yeah. As the head coach, it's all on you. Now, the GM, certainly the, there can be a battle there. But as far as your team, at least the way that they the defense played over the last stretch, to me, that's on the head coach. Yeah. I probably wouldn't fire him, but I understand why some people want him fired. Yeah, good comment on our YouTube chat. Thank you, Duval TV. If they fire Nick Sirianni, who do they replace him with? And I think that's kind of the same situation the Tennessee Titans find themselves in. Uh, the best candidate to be the Titans head coach is probably Mike Vrabel. So it was probably a mistake to fire Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Um, you could argue that. Maybe they could swap. Right. You could argue <laughs> that for Philly. I just think with how much turmoil that we know of, the fact that there was a D.C. switch that wasn't publicly announced mm-hmm. until it was basically brought to the forefront and Nick Sirianni had to address it. Yeah. And coupled with just the sheer lack of tackling and business decisions down the stretch, like you can blame the D.C. all you want. But at the end of the day, the buck has to stop with the head coach. And so either Nick Sirianni is going to have to make wholesale changes mm-hmm. and prove next year that it wasn't all Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen and that Steichen and that was the reason mm-hmm. that they went to the Super Bowl last year. Because otherwise, I mean, I, yeah, I think he's going to get another year. But I think that leash is getting a little bit shorter, especially knowing who ownership and management are in Philadelphia. Yes. And we know they're not the most patient. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Somebody tweeted it out this morning. They're like, you know, they're like, I can't believe that they want to fire Sirianni. And they were like, have you seen the coaches that they have fired before? (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's go up and down the line from Andy Reid to Dick Vermeil to to Doug Peterson. Like, it's not like this would be unprecedented. Yeah, you got that right. All right, we've got a special guest coming up next. Keep it right here on 10 to next on 2.5 FM. 
Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Some housekeeping to begin the 7 o'clock hour, hour number two of Helmets and Heels. We did realize we did not give a number uh, for that YMCA. Sorry, guys, if you're still waiting. I am the absolute worst. Apparently, uh, I did not say be call number three at 641-1010 to win the one-year membership to the YMCA. I was too busy doing the YMCA. (laughs) YMCA of Florida's first coast. It is good for a household of up to two people. Visit fcymca.org for more information. So, again, your your prompt to call is now call number three, 641-1010. While JJ answers your calls, we welcome in a special guest to the 1010XL studios, Erin Tracy of Fourth and Gold. Excited to have you on and make your debut here at 1010, a huge Jags fan, a huge part of Wolfs and Children's Hospital, and here today to talk about Fourth and Gold and their fourth annual kickball tournament that's going to be coming up in a few weeks. Erin, welcome. Thank you for having me. You fit right in. You slide in during a commercial break. We're talking <laughs> NFL playoffs, the trajectory of the Jags, and yeah. so much more. She's a Clemson fan, too, so uh, the familiar the familiar part of that. Yes, we're going to have to start tapping into that maybe a little bit more uh, next time we need to do the Clemson research. We're just going to call in <laughs> our Clemson analyst, Aaron Tracy. Um, but obviously, you are here on behalf of Fourth and Gold, an organization that you started and that has done so much for cancer research here in Jacksonville. Yeah, so um, we're having our fourth annual kickball tournament coming up you came out to our second one um just did some filming and so she didn't play she did not play she actually surprised me because our friend eric he had a team set up and then i see her walking up the little alley with her camera and i was (laughs) like oh lord (laughs) um so that was um i think we had 15 teams that year the first year we had 10 last year we had 16 this year i think we have 20 signed up with still a week left to go and um Hopefully you guys are going to have a team. We're going to see you guys out there. But uh, we do these kickball tournaments every year. So childhood cancer research only gets 4% of all federal funding from the government. So adult cancers get 96%. And if you don't know that, if you're not in the world, you don't know that. And I started working at Wolfson's in 2017 on the pediatric oncology ward. And I saw firsthand the devastating effects from treatment. And a lot of times the treatment kills the kids before the cancer ever could. And I wanted to stop that. I wanted to do more. I knew that we could do more. I started looking more into it, and I was just heartbroken to see the lack of funding that kids receive because the kids are our future. Mm -hmm. And if kids can't grow up, then what's our world going to be? So I started looking more into how I could change things, how I could meet with other people, and research was really big on my heart. Um, We have a lot of great organizations around here, the J Fund. They help families financially. The Child Cancer Fund, same thing, Dreams Come True, does a lot of wishes for them and there's not much research around here so that's what I decided my heart was on and um, in 2020 I lost two kids back to back they were both 15 Um, they both passed two weeks apart from leukemia Um, both of them ran out of treatment options and I just decided then and there like this was it I couldn't do it anymore Um, if I was going to continue to walk in and and do chemotherapy I needed to be able to do something on the opposite side of that and so I created fourth and gold for my love of football, um, going for it on fourth down. You know, you're going for the touchdown while we're going for the cure. And I want the four to stand out to people that we need more than 4%. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unacceptable. And it's actually 3.8%. So it's unacceptable. And gold's the color of childhood cancer awareness. So that's, that was easy for us. And I formed a board of directors. There's 11 of us. Um, several of us work in the oncology world. And Fast forward, that was in 2020 during COVID year, so we can only do some online fundraising, not much. And um, this year, as of 
today we've done $226,000 in research grants. Wow. I love that. And so there's something we're really familiar with, obviously, Wolfson's Children's Hospital, J-Fund, which more so helps the one, you know, kids going through the treatment and the families paying their bills and things like that. But this is for the research side and being able to find a cure for this. So what is the process like that for you? Is it all local things or do you go nationally to try to find ways to put this money into places that will help that? Yeah. So um, any kid that's diagnosed with cancer and that receives chemotherapy, they go through all their treatment comes from um, children's oncology group. So they make every single roadmap for every kid in the country. And we partner with them. They find they have researchers that come to them and say, hey, this is what we're working on. This is the funding that we need. And children's oncology group will call me. They'll say, hey, we have these grants or these um, applications for grants. Can you guys review them and let us know? So our first one was in 2022. We did um, acute myeloid leukemia grant out in California for $60,000. So we're trying to get away from chemo, right? Mm -hmm. We know that chemo can cure, but we know that sometimes the side effects are worse. So we want to do alternate treatments. So we're doing immunotherapy, which attacks bad cells only and leaves the good cells alone. So that was in 2022. Last year in 2023, we did a brain tumor right here at the Mayo Clinic. We did um, another 60,000 here. Same thing. They're using CAR T cells to attack brain tumors. And then this year we did CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, $100,000 grant to neuroblastoma research. I have a feeling that people are listening right now saying to themselves, Look, I knew that families who have kids that have been affected by childhood cancer, like you mentioned with the J Fund, they need our funds to just get through with mortgage payments and gas and all that stuff and and food on the table. But I bet most people did not realize that there's very limited funding for childhood cancer and what only three new treatments have come about since 1980. 1980, So for people listening that want to help, whether it's playing in the kickball tournament or just want to donate, what should they do, Erin? Yeah, um... I'm all I'm all about if your heart's in the right place, the money will follow. Um, awareness comes first, right? So if you don't know a child, if you're not working in the hospital, you likely don't know it. And that's a, my first priority is to get people aware of the lack of funding. And I fully believe once you're aware, you're not going to turn a blind eye, right? You're going to, wow, like that could be my kid. Because the reality is 43 kids a day get diagnosed with cancer and one in five of those kids won't survive. Mm. So I when a lot of times when families get the diagnosis, a lot of times you hear, I can't imagine. Well, we need you to imagine, mm-hmm. because if you do imagine, you're going to want to change that. So, of course, I want people to donate, but I want people to show up for families. I want them at our events. I want them, you know, we have kickball, we have cornhole, we do dodgeball every year. We do gold ribbon handout at the Jags game in September. Um, just really showing up. And I think when you show up, the money follows. Erin Tracy of Fourth and Gold and Wolfson Children's Hospital is our guest right here on Helmets and Heels. And I think it's also worth noting, Erin, when you look at the board of directors for Fourth and Gold, we see a familiar face, our guy, Dr. Michael Joyce, of course, who also is with the J Fund. So walk us through, I think that's what's so unique about this organization, and especially with how much the, t- the 1010XL does with the J Fund. You kind of brought together all the rock stars from the different hospitals, which we obviously have such an elite hospital system here in Jacksonville all the different all-stars from these different nonprofits and kind of brought them together. What went into creating and bringing all these great minds? Yeah, so I work with Dr. Joyce very closely. He's the oncologist on my unit, and I knew immediately he was somebody I wanted. He's very big into research. If 10 doctors tell you that you're out of treatment options, he's the one that's going to stay up late and say, no, 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 there's there's a study out in New Mexico, and we're going to try it. And that's that's someone I want on my team, someone that will go to the ends of the earth and 
The other people, they I strategically picked them. Um, James Carr, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He used to work for the Jags. He's out in Texas now, but he's um, helped me connect marketing with the Jags, with the Orlando Magic, out in Texas now. Um, Ashley, she works from Dreams Come True, so she works very closely with these children also, and so she knows the devastating effects that some of these things have. So I picked each person strategically. Um, Mark Berglund, his son, was the one that we lost in 2020, so he's very passionate. Um, Jake was larger than life, honest to God. He's one of the brightest kids I've ever met in my whole life, and he was 15, probably going on 40. I mean, he just never met a stranger, and I just knew after he passed that we had to keep going for him. And um, our accountant, her son had a brain tumor. He's doing well. He's at Florida State as a freshman. But, I mean, he's got a lot of side effects from the radiation. And um, just everyone that's really been affected. My dad's there. He's got, obviously, a medical background. And just everyone who's very passionate about changing the world. Is there, because you mentioned that number, 3.8%, mm-hmm. is that what you said, of the goes to childhood cancer for funding. Is that something, too, that you guys would like to eventually focus on is getting that number bigger, too, rather than yeah. just the donations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a few years ago when President Trump was in office, there was something called the STAR Act that a lot of families tried to get passed, and it would go from 3.8% to 7%. Um, President Trump did sign off on it, but it never made it past the Senate. Okay. So that's another thing, awareness. A lot of people probably have no idea yeah, that number. Absolutely. Erin, how is it that you're not so emotionally affected day in and day out with, with what you do? I mean, we talk about sports, which is the fun part, and certainly you know sports as well. So I'm sure talking with patients about sports and stuff is fun too. But how, how do you do it, in other words? Like how, how do you get through each day when working in pediatric oncology? Because if, if I don't, then who does? You know, these families – um, they need someone in their corner that hasn't been directly impacted. And my coworkers will tell you the same thing. Like we walk in and we spend 12 hours with these families and, you know, you're at work. It's like, oh, I can't wait to go home. But then we remember like we do get to go home. And mm-hmm. um, I, But I've also told my coworkers if I didn't have fourth and gold on the other side of this, I don't know that I'd still be in this profession. Um, seeing kids pass away, seeing kids just fight for months and months in the hospital when they – honestly should be in school or be at a Jags game or watching sports or just doing anything that a child does. And I mean, I've had patients stuck in the hospital for over a year and then never leave. And mm. they need someone on their side that, that can hold them up. Without further ado, inform our listeners for the kickball tournament. You guys are still accepting applications until next Tuesday, I believe yep, it is, right? That's how yep. we timed it up perfectly with helmets and heels. Um, the 23rd next week, how can they sign up as well as any other upcoming events Fourth and Gold has yeah, going so on? Yeah, so they can just go to our website, fourthandgold.org slash calendar. Our, um, we have two events on there right now. It's our kickball tournament that is going to be on February 3rd. And then we also have the Gate River Run that we have a team for. That's on March 2nd. Yes. Um, so anybody can sign up either on those on those teams. And what else do we have? I see photo booth, DJ, photographer. Yes. What else do we have looking forward to at the kickball yes, tournament? Yes, we have face painters. Um, we have a fourth and gold photo booth. We have a DJ, a photographer, sweet and salty food truck will be there. We'll have free lunches. The news typically pops by. Um, we'll have side games. We'll have badminton set up, cornhole, like anything to do to keep you busy while you're waiting. And I think what's like when I went two years ago, the, one of the coolest parts is like, the teams are based off of, you know, many times children who yeah. have gone through a childhood cancer battle, many of whom those children are there at the at the tournament itself. And, I mean, Erin, for you, what was one of those moments in the last three years where it was just like, wow, 
I, I can't believe that this experience has come to life like it has. Yeah, so there's this little girl, Lucy. Um, her She got diagnosed with neuroblastoma when she was four, so it was right after our first tournament. So they came to our second tournament. Um, she had just finished treatment. She looked great running around. Two weeks later, she relapsed, um, which was very unexpected. Uh, went through treatment all year, came to our third tournament. So at the second tournament, she had a head full of hair, like super cute, just had finished treatment. Our, our third tournament, she had lost her hair again. And then our fourth tournament this year, she's not going to be there because she passed in September. So it's just a huge reminder of why we do what we do. Um, just because, like, her dad gave a speech at our second tournament about the importance of research mm -hmm. and she's not going to be able to be there this year and her family's going to be there they have two teams but it's just a reminder of like we can change things we can't change the entire world but I mean you can spend five hours on a Saturday and show up for these patients and their families yeah so if it's not obviously maybe someone can't play kickball they can still go and support yeah in other absolutely ways. we love we have spectators all the time um just come out we have tons of raffles we'll have silent auctions I mean it's just a really fun day whether you're playing or not. We already discussed how are we going to get Joe Cowart with his cane there <laughs> around the base. When Aaron first asked me, can we put together a 10-10 team, uh, Taylor and I looked at each other and we were like, well, um, several of our hosts are currently limping around with ankle <laughs> and Achilles tendonitis, but uh, we could certainly put the call out there and yeah. see uh, see who else from the team is interested. So I love the merch, by the way. The, you have the water bottle and the sweater, which all of it is uh, I've saw on your website. Yeah, yeah. We can purchase that yeah, too. Absolutely. Will it be out at the kickball yep, tournament? Yep, okay. I'll have everything out there. Love it. Well, Aaron, I just want to say thank you for fighting for thank all you. of these kids and, and certainly their families. It's it's not easy what you do, mm -hmm. but our community is better off for you and certainly for Fourth and Gold as well. So thank you yeah, so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And again, the website, fourthandgold.org. The kickball tournament comes up February 3rd. You can still sign up now. We've got more to do here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyler on Tension XL 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans. Thanks again to Erin Tracy for joining us from fourthandgold.org. She is a pediatric oncology nurse at Wilson Children's Hospital and also helping to raise funds for research and certainly raise awareness for research for pediatric cancer. And it's really important to know that pediatric cancer does not get nearly the funding that it needs for the children who are diagnosed to survive. So thanks again to Erin. And again, the kickball tournament February 3rd. It is at Palmetto Leaves Park. And you can still sign up fourthandgold.org. All right, we've got some highlights for you. JJ, take it away. Baker Mayfield touchdown pass to Trey Palmer to extend the Bucks lead to 25 to 9. But they've got to start having some answers on the offensive side of the ball. Second and four. Here's another broken tackle. This is the rookie Trey Palmer, and he is gone. Touchdown, Buccaneers. Bradbury missed the tackle, and Trey Palmer did the rest. 24-yard pass from Jared Goff to Josh Reynolds to set the Lions up for a score to start the game. Protection, first of all, perfect, but that is a little tiny window with people flying around, and you didn't know how Jared Goff was going to react out here, right? Yeah, they had a couple of good runs there, but he has come out firing early. Molly Davis's headband powers Iowa to top 15 win over Indiana. 33-28 and a steal. 
Molly P to the cup on the scat band thinks it is. That's right, that headband she has on, folks. She's had it since high school. She won't throw it away. She won't even get a new one. It's good luck. Her dad will sew it together every time it rips. <laughs> this is so unbrand, I feel like, for us. Uh, one of us chose a Florida football team. <laughs> Not Florida's football team, but a Florida football team. <laughs> One of us chose a football team from the Midwest, <laughs> and one of us chose a women's basketball team that from the Midwest. Very I'm on gonna brand. I'm going to say first. that's on brand. <laughs> very on brand. A hundred percent. We've talked a lot about the Bucks beating the Eagles last night. Uh, you just heard the highlight of Baker Mayfield to Trey Palmer. It was at that moment that I feel like you knew that game was over. Mm -hmm. You might could have thought that when the safety happened, although at that point it was still only 18 to 9. Yeah. But to me, the moment that Trey Palmer said to Bradbury, peace out, yeah. I'll, I'll see you in, I don't know, 2025, or I guess not really, but later in 2024, uh, that was when it was like, okay, this game is not, it's not within reach anymore. Yeah. And the Eagles didn't have anything offensively to even put it within reach. And you could even feel that in Bradbury's reaction when it shows him in that oh, yeah. clip. Like, you could just tell at that point they were so depleted. It almost yep. felt like they were just like, just be, let's be done. Like, yeah. it, let's get the season over with because it's been a hot mess the last two months. It really did feel to me like the Eagles were just kind of half-assing it yeah. through the second half. Like, they just didn't really want to be there, and they knew kind of going into the game that mm -hmm. their season was pretty much over. All right, you chose Jared Goff. I did. That was, um, yeah, I think 24-yard pass. And it was just one of the ones where you see certain passes. There's three defenders around the receiver, and Jared Goff just puts it in the absolutely most perfect spot you could for a receiver, even in the realm of he was able to turn and even get a few more yards in the play, which usually when defenders are around you like that, it's, it's not that situation. Even putting it to where he, there's very few quarterbacks we see that do do that consistently. And I feel like we've seen, we do see a lot of that from Jared Goff. But – there, that was just one of the plays where I was like, that's why I have the confidence in the Lions offense and what Jared Goff is able to do because of throws like that and because it's not to only Amon Ra that he's able to do that. He can do that to a majority of his receivers that he has on the team. And there's just that little extra level of confidence um, that you see there. And, yeah, so that was that play. And I was talking to you about this uh, when we were on break, and I'm like, man, it's funny how differently I feel towards – the Lions and Packers and and then I was like well obviously like the Packers win a lot more so that's it but I was like but I also don't like the Vikings so it's just it's weird to where like if the Lions won the Super Bowl I'd honestly probably be like good for you you know like good job <laughs> but if it was the Packers or the Vikings I'd be angry but if the Lions started to win more consistently then and that's where I guess spread the hate we'll around find out yeah <laughs> then I'll hate all of them <laughs> yeah which is understandable I feel like it is easy to to really dislike the teams in your own division mm -hmm. I mean the Texans are this great story, but not a single Jaguars fan is rooting for the Texans yeah, against no the Ravens. Every single person, Jags fan, I should say, is rooting for the Ravens. I think the majority probably of people in general, like if you're an NFL fan, you don't want this upstart team with a first-year head coach and a rookie quarterback to come in the league and to beat Lamar and the Ravens mm -hmm. with all that they've worked for. At least that's how I view it. And Mia, Molly Davis's headband, I didn't know anything about it until oh, that clip yeah. with Gus Johnson. <laughs> it's not just that Molly is, for, for the for the real Iowa women's basketball fans, obviously everyone knows Caitlin Clark. We, we have enough Caitlin Clark on this show. Caitlin Clark is wonderful. Molly Davis, though, she is a now grad transfer officially. She transferred last year for her 
fourth season. So now this is technically her COVID year um, from Eastern Michigan and was uh, came off the bench last year, kind of sprung Caitlin a little bit for point guard duties, gave her a rest, first person off the bench. This year, because Monica Sinano left for the professional ranks, because McKenna Warnock opted to go to dental school. Yes, I know the irony of that, if you know my story, um, that she said she had to go to Iowa's dental school, which my mother wants to teach at one day. Um, And so because of that, they've gotten a little bit more guard heavy just because of who they had coming up in the pipeline. And the best option for Iowa has been to go with a guard heavy lineup where Molly Davis is starting at the point guard position and allows Caitlin Clark to play off ball. I say all that for the sports part of this. Molly Davis, who I have met and is wonderful, is probably about four inches taller than me, which for those of you who don't know, uh, spoiler alert, I am five foot two. Um, and she's listed at, I think, five seven or five eight. I don't know if she actually is. But Molly is epic because she wears this headband, right? She has a long ponytail. She doesn't put it in a bun. Her, her, she's got really long hair. Her hair, like, you know, trails down to the middle of her back. And she wears a headband. If you didn't know this, I always wore a headband growing up. I did not put my hair in a bun or a ponytail until I was in the seventh grade. I was all about the headband. Uh, I have plenty of incriminating photos of me with my Rugrats, my SpongeBob, you name it. I had all my headbands. And so for me to see Molly Davis's headband, which also has a Twitter account, by the way, oh getting gosh. the national love from Gus Johnson that it deserves uh, it was funny that he was like, heart. even when it, her dad sews it back together. Yes. It rips. This, well, so Gus got there. Honestly, like, here's the thing for me. Like, as we joke about the snow games this past week, as so many teams in basketball and football have been having to deal with this. Like, Gus got there on Wednesday or Thursday and was there at shoot around there at practice. This is, I think, the first time he's ever called a women's college basketball game. Wow. The fact that he was there um, – our girl from uh, the Yes Network, um, Sarah, uh, what's her name? Why am I blanking on her last name? Who does Sarah Kustak, who does the games with um, with Ian Eagle um, at, for the Nets. She she was the analyst. I mean, this is the A team for Fox for men's and women's mm-hmm. college and professional basketball. And that was why I, you know, so many people were like, just reschedule the game. Indiana had to fly in the day of because of the snowstorm. Like, I'm like, yeah, but the problem is if you reschedule it. You can't guarantee it's going to get the eyeballs it's about to get. I mean, it's an 8 o'clock primetime game with Gus on the call. Like, this is so monumental for women's basketball. Um, And the Hawkeyes obviously delivered, uh, so I was very happy with that. Uh, Molly had, I believe it was 14 points in the first half. Caitlin Clark started 2 of 11. And that's what this team to succeed this season is going to need. They're going to need someone besides Caitlin if she's bogged down or if she's you know, doesn't have her stroke that night. They're going to need someone because last year was Monica, and now she's, you know, graduated and – since, you know, off to the WNBA and now, uh, you know, professional career. And so, yeah, the fact that it was Molly. Uh, we're big fans of of Molly in my household. So <laughs> so I have a dumb question because I don't pay as close of attention to women's basketball. Yeah. Iowa's not number one? They're number two. Okay. They are number and two. South Carolina is number one. South Carolina is number one, okay. um, which Dawn Staley did make headlines, uh, which I love Dawn Staley. Uh, great Michael – or was it Michael Vick last night? Or was it – I forget. I think it was Randall Cunningham or Michael Vick, the jersey she had on during their win over Kentucky last night. Uh, you know, she made headlines a few weeks ago with the buzzer beater from Caitlin about, you know, the officiating call. The previous earlier in that final minute sequence, mm-hmm. was it actually a shooting foul, ironically, on Molly Davis – um, Kim Mulkey made headlines last week prior to their um, stunning upset at the hands of Auburn. Um, the LSU they head ranked? coach, uh, they fell, I think, oh. to like 12 because they got beat by Auburn oh. on Sunday afternoon. 
um, in in Auburn. Um, but Kim Mulkey made headlines because she said, at least I don't have any girl on my team that shoots 40 shots a game, which was obviously a shot at Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're the looking drama. for drama, right, if you're looking for drama, like, first of all, the parody is awesome because – all, th- all these teams have gotten beat at some point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think South Carolina may be undefeated, but that may be it. Like, USC and UCLA was a top-10 matchup. The Tro- Lady Trojans got the win over the Lady Bruins, and so they jumped them in the rankings in the AP poll this week. Um, Indiana obviously loses Grace Berger to the WNBA, but they have Mackenzie Holmes, who was a National Player of the Year candidate, so, like, they're still in the conversation. Uh, Kansas State knocked off Iowa earlier in the year, and so they're, they're a sneaky good team, too. Baylor got beat by Iowa State, who was unranked at the time, because Baylor even, you know, since Kim Mulkey's departure, as Ross Matasek, friend of the program, has reminded me, hasn't gone anywhere. They're still the class of the Big 12, but they got beat this weekend. So the parody is really good, um, but I would argue the drama is also um, pretty pretty must-watch at this juncture. But, yeah. Some cat fights. Yeah. Uh, but South Carolina yeah. is undefeated, and then there are six teams that all have one loss. Yeah, and Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I was about to say, I forgot that I said I was going to watch the Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Noelle Ivy's team. They're really good. Actually, I was like, uh, next year I'm watching. And I that's forgot. without Olivia Miles because she's still recovering um, from the ACL tear from last February, which obviously it's been a year. Mm-hmm. I actually turned to Kevin and I was like, it's kind of weird. We haven't gotten an update. So we think we think that may be a Cam Rising situation where oh. like she's taking a red shirt. She's only 20, so she's not eligible for the WNBA draft. And also I don't think she wants to be in the same class as Caitlin Page Beckers, yeah. uh, Cameron Brink, and Angel Reese. Uh, I would just take a take a guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So that you Notre Dame is an interesting one. Uh, they really uh, took it to our girl Jazz Roberts in Miami oh. in South Bend over the weekend. We did watch that game. Um, but Miami's also hanging around. They have a couple of quality non-conference wins. So shout out to the local Bishop Kenny product, our friend of the program, Jazz Roberts too. So a lot of great women's basketball being played. But uh, yeah, no for for Molly to get the national <laughs> attention and love she deserves <laughs> from Gus Johnson. Like that's a thing. Like I understand there's going to be some of you complaining about us. Talking about women's basketball and the set, like Gus Johnson, who is like, you know, like, I mean, where would you rank him? And like, just play by play guys right now, nationally, in terms of recognition. I mean, I would think even, even if you're not one of the people who can sit there and go through and name commentators, you know his name. Right. And that says something. And it's like when he's on the call, you know it's a big game. Yeah. And so the fact that, you know, credit to Fox for creating this lane. For women's basketball mm-hmm. and for giving Iowa and Indiana a primetime game. It's very exciting. And I think Gus had a lot of fun doing it. Like, again, he flew out there early, spent some time with the team. Like, I'm all, I'm, I'm all you know, jazzed up about it. So. <laughs> well, meanwhile, in men's basketball, Florida lost 85-66 to 66 to Ugh. Tennessee earlier. So it was a little bit closer at one point in time. The Vols had led by as much as 20, and then Florida cut the lead to 10, but then the Vols got back up, obviously. By a lot, and Dalton Connect had 39 points Yikes. in the game. Yeah, the transfer from Northern Colorado. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tatlet on Tennis Next on 2.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. By the way, we never discussed it. Do either of you have New Year's resolutions? Um, trying to just exercise and cut out snacks. Mostly I have the target date of my sister's wedding. Okay. So that's, that's where like, if I go to get an extra piece of cake, I have to remind myself, 
No. Not just a piece of cake, an <laughs> no. extra piece of yeah, cake. Exactly. Right. Another a piece, piece of cake. cake. Right. Like, what, like today, like I did a boot camp workout, right? So I burned a lot of calories. So I said, you know what? You can have the one piece of cake for okay. our January birthdays. It is our general manager, Steve Griffin's birthday. Happy birthday to Steve. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to have your cake. But and then when, too. Right. But then when I saw the second piece, a.k.a. Lauren handed it to me to bring it to the break room because it was a leftover piece. Um, no, do not take that piece of cake. I do not. No. Mm-mm. You never do, right? No. I just. Taylor's like, I know I'm not, not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not trying to improve myself. I'm already awesome, okay? I more so will have like goals that I'd like to hit. So not something that technically I need to change like daily. But hey, by the end of the year, I'd like X to happen, you know, and like. I, I think this year, and I don't even know if this is actually doable, but I've struggled so bad last year with my allergies. Like, this year I want to figure this out and fi- not die half the season because that's how I felt almost all this year. And that's what it was funny because you mentioned earlier the game last year, the Chargers-Jags game, and I was like, I was miserable and had a sinus infection and couldn't leave my house for, like, almost two weeks during that period of time. So it was, like, bad memories for me because I felt so bad. And I'm like, I'm tired of dealing with that. So that it's more so things like that. Like, okay, how can I just, like, feel better this year? If it makes you feel better, we uh, had our my, – myself and a couple other managers here were in a meeting and we were discussing our players' coverage. And all I could think was, remember when John Rahm and I both got the stomach bug last yeah. players? And like, as we're like running through a litany of things that happened during players week, I was like, yeah, I really don't remember that. I really don't. And it, it just, the stomach bug did a number on me. John <laughs> Rahm was, me and Rahm were both forced to withdraw. So let's keep whatever that was away from TPC this March. <laughs> I don't really have a resolution, like you said, but I do, I'm trying to force myself into being less last minute about things. Okay. Like for instance, last year, Taylor and I went to a friend's wedding. It was on a Saturday, and I didn't have a dress to wear until the day before. <laughs> and it came in the mail Friday night. Like, I got home from work, tried it on for the first time, and was like, okay, this is going to have to work. <laughs> uh, and so I'd like to be ahead, more ahead of schedule, whether it's buying someone a mm-hmm. present uh, or just in general, like if there's a project that needs to be finished, I'd like that to be done in advance. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us can procrastinate certain oh, things, yeah. and I'm really good about, like, like I will work out every day. That part's not an issue. I won't procrastinate that. Mm. But when it comes to other stuff, like, like for instance, cleaning the house, like, I feel yeah. like that's always something that I'm you way behind. Because you'll be like, all right, well, I'll do it Friday when I get off, and then you're like, never mind, I don't want to go home and clean on Friday. <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> like, I'll do it tomorrow, and then Saturday you're like, uh, I don't know. And that is another thing, like, okay, so this is going to sound potentially gross, but flossing my teeth, mm-hmm. I have been awful at flossing my teeth for my, my mother hear life. that i know but if i say it out loud then that It'll means that probably it, yeah. is a good resolution mm-hmm. is i never do it you never do it either Won't do it but does well, your hygienist yell at you i've probably been to the dentist once in 10 years okay so, so yeah that's where it but comes my teeth from. are good that's good. good i never have cavities but the dental hygienist is like look yeah. you've got to floss like and she's i think it's a conspiracy <laughs> She's very nice, but at the same time, I leave feeling extraordinarily guilty and like yeah. trying to make excuses, you know, like, oh yeah, I flossed like, like I promised. I have six like, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have time to floss. You don't understand. It's literally like the easiest thing too. It takes, I counted one day. It takes like 50 seconds. Yeah. That's it. It's those little things though that I feel like, and that's a good, you're saying, you know, you want to be when it comes to being more on time with yeah. things. And I think part of it, when those little things during the day that you're just kind of like, all right, it only takes two minutes. It only takes a minute to actually, like, put the clothes in the hamper, yet there's many people out there that don't, like, just set it beside the hamper. That I've never understood. And I'm not, I'm very much, like, I have my hamper, and once my hamper gets full, I do my, I have that process. That's one of the things that I do have a process for. 
but I'm bad about being late in general. So that's probably one that I should work on because I'm that person that's like, okay, I have to be there at this time. So I need to make sure I leave at this time and I have to do this because I want to get there like right when it's time to start. I don't want to get there too early to where you're, especially when you're at work and then immediately people are asking you to do things and you're like, I'm early. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be working yet. God forbid we get there early to though like places because I mean, it's not like we have a device that we can yeah. just entertain to us. Watch a game if I wanted to. Right. <laughs> I have learned, I have to, I literally have to lie to myself about what time I need to leave the house mm. or else I will be scrambling because yeah. there's always one more thing that yeah. you can do. Yep. And so I'll literally be like, okay, if I need to leave by let's say 10 30 i will tell myself you have to be out the door at 10 20 even mm. though the back of my mind knows yeah. like you haven't it's like you're lying to me but it's literally yeah it's so, like no i have to leave by 10 20 taylor heard this story already um i went in for my um annual checkup for my car and they informed me that my center console um it was the equivalent the software was the equivalent of still using ios 4 when ios 14 is available and so they had to upgrade my software and uh and so when they did that Unfortunately, the very nifty, uh, who would have thought, nifty little quirk of my clock has not been the right time for the past two years. Actually, each week it adds about 20 seconds behind. And so we were at a point where it was operating about 20 minutes behind the actual time. But it was great because I was on Coughlin time then. So I was always like, I would get in the car and I'd see... 9.52, 9.52, but that really meant 9.32. And I'd be like, okay, cool. That makes me feel good. Like I'm, I'm, I'm I don't think I could handle that. <laughs> I like to have all of my clocks exactly the set the same. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the River City Rumble on Friday night. Yeah. UNF played host to JU. It was the sixth largest crowd in UNF history. We had Josh Allen, the Jaguar, uh, not Josh Allen, Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, Caleb on Chase on Foye Luakun and Trayvon Walker all in attendance. So that was pretty cool. I think for the students to, to get to see them having fun at the game. Foye was there talking about on Coughlin time. Foye was there early and on time. Well, the you other, know, he's a basketball analyst. He is. I'm trying to the get the other him three. On. We're not exactly on oh. time. Yeah. <laughs> they we showed up at some point during the first half. We've workshopped some ideas. Sounds like the games. We've workshopped <laughs> some ideas. Right. We've workshopped. Yeah. I know that's what we, the punchline was. We've worked some, like, seriously, like, we've workshopped some ideas with Foye about, like, he loves basketball. Like, he, like, in the locker room during the season will come up to me in November and be talking about some random A10 game that I'm like, I have no idea if they're good or not, Foye. It's November. So, like, as soon as I saw him, like, 10 minutes before tip, already in his seat, I'm like, oh, he's locked in. But it was funny because he just kept, like, looking to his left because where the other players would come through would be oh. on his left. And for, like, 10 Not basketball minutes, coming. nobody. And I was like, These, this poor boy, he's literally <laughs> sitting there by himself. Like, come on, guys. Uh, now, I'm sure, you know, they had other stuff to do. I'm, I'm not blaming them for being like walking in and he was like, when? Because (laughs) (laughs) they just were not, they were on Taylor time, not on Coughlin time. But either way, I thought the game itself was fantastic. uh, And certainly the fact that JU led at the half, I think was a little bit of a surprise to people. Uh, But then the UNF shooting uh, went off in the second half. Yeah. I actually said to Foye when I talked to him at halftime, the the standout for me, if you're going to go to a UNF game at all this year was Jalen Smith, the true freshman point guard. It's been well-documented how many players UNF lost to the portal. They were a veteran team a season ago. They lose Jose Placer. That's obviously a critical piece at the point. Um, you know, they they lost their two bigs. I thought Dorian James, despite not being a true center, he looked great against a JU team that, let's be real, they jump out of the gym. They're all long. Mm-hmm. The length is just a signature of what Jordan Mincy is scouting and recruiting at Jacksonville University. So the biggest surprise for me was Jalen Smith, the true freshman. He's five foot eleven. 
Um, little to no turnovers. Unfortunately, he came up a little limp in the second half with a hamstring injury, but he was the spark plug for this UNF team. As much as Dorian James and Chaz Lanier are like the headliners and obviously where they're leading scorers, I was blown away. And I said it to Foya, I'm like, he's 18 years old. Like, I did not expect that to be like my biggest takeaway from the first 20 some odd minutes of action. And then he was even more elite in the second half. So credit to UNF, credit to Matthew Driscoll. First time in his tenure that they, they tried to bring him down. They tried to say they'd finish second to last in the A-Sun. I know it's still early, mm-hmm. but UNF has proven them wrong pretty darn quickly. They, they drop, I mean, they lose essentially on a buzzer beater to Stetson right. in the conference opener. They beat Florida Gulf Coast, who beat FAU, who had just beaten the number one team in the country by 20. 20. Yeah. And then they do what they just did to JU, where they ran away in the second half. So, listen, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a a dogfight down the stretch in the A-Sun because I don't think there really is, like, you know, a a team that, you know, like how Liberty was a few years ago. True, just run away. Right. I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. Kennesaw State, who they have coming to UNF Arena on Thursday, um, is in a little bit of a rebuilding mode. Their head coach headed to South Florida after their run to the NCAA tournament a year ago. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen uh, for both these teams. And, of course, River City Rumble Part 2 comes up in late February. Yes, February 23rd. That is a Friday. Uh, Taylor, have you mm. ever been to the River City Rumble, either actually. at UNF or JU? I do need to go. I always hear, and I always know tons of people that go to this game. Like That's how just around here how popular it is. So I definitely I need to go to the next one. Yeah, so the next one, like Mia said, at JU, that's mm-hmm. coming up Friday, February 23rd. Uh, so Thursday night, Mia just said UNF plays host to Kennesaw State. That tips off at 7 p.m. And then UNF plays host to Queens on Saturday, tipping off at 5 p.m. And then JU has the reverse. JU plays host to Queens Thursday night at 7. And then Kennesaw State Saturday, tipping off at 3. Those, of course, at Swisher Gymnasium. I so officially begin my off-season job. Uh, we'll be calling the game on Saturday at Swisher Gymnasium. So my very f- nice. And then next week I got the women's games at UNF. So uh, basketball season, it is heating up, as they like to say. <laughs> uh, unlike the weather in lots of places. Uh, so I saw that currently it is. Oh boy, it is fifty-three degrees. That's all right. Yeah. And by the time. The clock strikes midnight. It will be 40 degrees. Mm, normal. And yeah. then it'll get down uh, when many people are waking up around 7 a.m. or like earlier. 33. At 30 yeah. degrees. 7 a.m., 30 degrees. That's the first thing I looked at when you said earlier about how cold. I was like, okay, what? how cold when I wake up? And I think it said, when I checked, it was like, okay, the time I'd be getting to work, it's like 32. <laughs> and <laughs> that's rough, honestly. That was like the worst part about living up north is the mornings because yep. it, if you don't have a garage especially because your car has to – True, like you're scraping, you're shoveling, you're letting your car heat up for a while before you can even drive it. And so, if, talk about being late. <laughs> that yes. really pushed it. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. By the way, JJ, I didn't get to ask you, do you have a New Year's resolution? It's the same one every year. It's okay. to make it to next New Year's. Oh, that's a good one. So, so far, survive. so good. 33 <laughs> and 0. That's right. To survive and to thrive. And this year, you'll go on your honeymoon, which is also exciting. Uh, yeah, we've got Italy in about. A uh, month and about a month and a week. Yes. I'm jealous. I would say JJ needs to like run, but he, he's superior to all of us with his uh, diligence. I and mean, the running? He runs every morning. About six days a week. And how far are you running now? I could probably max out around like six, five, six miles. Wow. I've never That's really what I'm tried saying. It, though. You start, and how did I'm you start? I'm going for speed right now. Okay. Right. How did you start? It was just you decided one day? Yeah. I I was just like, I'm looking fat right now. 
I remember it's when you, about. yeah, when you first started. Didn't you first start like run walking? Yeah, I when I quit smoking. Yeah, yeah. Way to go. And going for speed, that's fun. So you can start doing some 5Ks and telling us how fast you finished. He already did. He's I'm at like 27 Ks. minutes for a 5K right now. a boy. Well done. Let's ask Rick Blue his 5K time. <laughs> now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. Rick, have you ever done a 5K? Nope. Are you ever planning on doing a 5K? Nope. No, 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 no. I, uh, you know, it's like <clears throat> certain things in life, like every, like right now. Yeah. Every night before I go on the air, I get really nervous. Mm. Okay. And when I lose that feeling, I'll quit. Um, yep. But the worst feeling ever was football, hockey, and baseball in high school. It was a day where we had to run a six-minute mile. And I never got nervous about games and stuff before games, but all day, knowing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon I had to go to the track and run a six-minute mile was absolutely petrifying to me. And I usually hit it around 540, 545. Wow. I was in really good shape. I played three sports. But that was the most disturbing. It was kind of like taking a test on a Friday and not getting the results until, mm-hmm. like, Monday oh, or whatever. Yeah. I just hated that feeling. And I can't imagine what it's like to go out there and run it. I, I bet I could go a couple hundred yards now. I hate to say it. I mean, I walk every day. I walk fairly quick, uh, fairly quickly, but running yeah, is a totally different you. animal. Hey, the walking, for what it's worth, they say that that is like the key to long-term success because your body's not going to be mm-hmm. able to run when you're 80-something years old, but if you're walking, you're still burning the calories too. I mean, I know I like have my step counter, and I just walked, I think it was like the equivalent of like five miles Saturday between like walking for exercise and then walking St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. It said I burned like 500 some odd calories. Yeah. So it's. I ran a lot in college. I used to, I went, when I, last couple of years, I was running High Road, which is right near Gobby, uh, Gobby High School. I used to run that track probably four or five times a week. I loved it. But I mean, you, you talk about getting away from that and then trying to get back. I don't know if there's anything harder. If you legitimately giving up running, then all of a sudden you just want to go outside and try it. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck as well. Now, if you're getting chased with someone with an axe, yeah. maybe that's that a different might help story. help a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Then your adrenaline's too high. Uh, all right, what do you have coming up today? What do we have on up here? Pickleball? I mean, uh, we can't women, find anything was, on? Or? So, we were watching Australian Florida Open. <laughs> we were watching Florida Tennessee men's basketball on ESPN2, and then as soon as the game ended, it switched to women's tennis. Okay. Women's tennis is fun to watch, though. Yes. It's Wozniacki. You at least know that name. Mm-hmm. No, they, years ago, they used to have it right up the road here, the Baoshingo. Yeah, I loved that. I covered that for many years in the uh, right when I got here to the late '90s. I want to say it was was it in February or March? I think March. Year? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It was right around TPC back then. It was in March as well, until they moved it to May. And of course, it's back in March. So, yeah, I uh, got a got a couple of good things coming up here tonight that I think our uh, listeners will be interested in. Jaguar fans will be interested in and. And, uh, and one of those is, is going to be, believe it or not, I think we're actually in an era now where there are more villains in the media mm-hmm. than there are in sports. Ooh, I like that topic. When I grew up, there was one villain, and that was Howard Cosell. And that was it. Now, I'm not talking about us local people. I'm talking mm-hmm. about national, you know, paid really well. Um, I, was, I gave it a lot of time today, and I came up with far more media members who are hated than actual players out on the you know the ice court or field you talk about changing times mm-hmm. that's that's today's era that we're in
Yeah, I will say the media people get far more airtime mm-hmm. than they used to, right? Like now we have those national shows that are on all the time, mm-hmm. whereas before they didn't get as much time. But yeah, still. Well, who's the most hate- social media accounts that they're tweeting from. <laughs> who's the too. most hated athlete right now? Most hated athlete right now. I mean, now. A-Rod's gone. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady's gone. You know, Dennis Rodman's I don't think Aaron, gone. Aaron Judge and Mike Trout aren't Is hateable. it Brad Marchand? That's hockey, so for our no, audience, no. you know, let's slice that in half right now. Who is it in football? Uh, you know, basketball, okay. I mean, I guess Can I say Travis Kelsey? Right, there's a percentage. There you go. Yeah. Travis Kelsey a would, of would, absolutely, would absolutely be one, but... I mean, is that comparable to the, uh, you know, the days of the Oakland Raiders, you know, Randy and, Moss. and uh, you know, guys like Randy Moss and, um, you know, just goes on and on and on. Conrad Dobler, you know, you can look at guys like Montez Perfect. I mean, they would just mm-hmm. Jack Tatum for yeah. crying out loud. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it's a really weird era that we're in where the people who are paid to cover the sport, mm-hmm. their egos are as big, if not bigger than those that they cover. And the general public ends up really disliking so many of these people. It's it's really kind of a crazy uh, time for all of this, and it makes them a lot of money, which is a good thing for them. But um, you know, I was always so we're supposed to be covering them, right? Right. Be conduits. Yeah. You know, wasn't it Stephen A. Smith who said two weeks ago, "I'm I'm a bigger star right now than anyone on the New York Knicks." That actually came out of his mouth. That sounds like something. And he meant it. <laughs> yeah, and he, you know true. what? I mean, he felt like, he, felt like true, yeah. he was in MJ and Derek Jeter's box at the national championship <laughs> yeah. game. No one from the Knicks yeah. was. So awesome fun with that. Speaking of NBA, I would give you Russell Westbrook and James Harden as villains. Okay. What about what about Green? You could say Draymond too. Yep. Yeah. Draymond for sure. I would say those three. I would yeah. say those three and the NBA is lending itself to creating more villains versus heroes. But even then, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure there's plenty of LeBron, you know, haters because they love MJ, and so therefore LeBron's a villain to them, or Anthony Davis is a villain to them because he plays for the Lakers. Yeah, even during the great era of, of team basketball when it was the Lakers and, and Celtics, they hated each other, but I think league-wide there wasn't a lot of hate. That didn't come around until Bill Lambert and Dennis Rodman in yep. Detroit. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so. well, Mia's going to stick around for that segment. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Rick Blue comes up. In just a few minutes. Thank you for tuning in this Tuesday evening to Helmets and Heels. Thank you, JJ La Selva. Thank you, Taylor Dahl and Mia O'Brien. I'm Lauren Brooks. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday night.